History happened everywhere. A random country, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. Then a week for one of us to go away and find out all that we can, then come back and reveal all to the other. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. Welcome to History Happened Everywhere. I'm Ryan Weir, and with me in the studio is Peter Goddard. Hello. How you doing, buddy? Oh, well, I've been spending the week basking in the January British sunshine. Ooh, that sounds gorgeous. Yes, it's untrue. There is no January British sunshine. <laughs> but, uh, I've been basking in the glow of my screen. When you're doing the research... Uh, what, where are the main sites you go to? What's the first thing you do? I tend to start just you start in Wikipedia to kind of figure out where the heck you are because if really? we were smart people we'd probably already know a lot of this stuff <laughs> yeah. but we have to get the basics down so I generally start with the Wikipedia. There is a version of Wikipedia that I discovered um, which is like a simple idiot's version of Wikipedia. Wikipedia. It's like Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's perfect for me. It summarises the pages down to just like 20 words. <laughs> Bad man. Kill good man. Yeah, there you go. That's that's how I prepare. Hey, well, it always works out fine for me. So uh, you stick with what you what's working for you. Right, talking of preparing... It's, uh, let's let's remind ourselves of uh, what we are going to talk about this week, because yes. I, for one, cannot remember. Oh, I can Cool. All right, let's hit the time reverse button. <laughs> let's find out what your country, time, and topic are for next week. Do it. Right. <laughs> here we go. Okay, Ryan. <laughs> okay, here we go. Right, so, Peter, your country for next week is... Mozambique. Mozambique. Well, we've made it out of the Alps at least. <laughs> I don't know where it is. It could be in the Alps as far as I know. Uh, okay. And your time period? I'm hoping modern. I want to go modern. Okay. Time period is 2000 to 2005. Yes. Awesome. Here's modern. And okay. So subject. And the subject is religion. Oh, religion in Mozambique from 2000 to 2005 AD. Challenge accepted, sir. Right, okay. Blimey. Religion. Again. We've had that three times now. Yeah. Uh, it's fine, though, because I've got loads of interesting things to tell you about religion and things vaguely connected to religion. <laughs> Mozambique, 2000-2005 and religion. That sounds like there's going to be lots because it's recent. Yep, I've got lots of good stuff for you. Let's see how you enjoy it. Okay. Right. Commence. So let us begin. Um, Start. Right. So do you know where we are in Mozambique? Uh, I'm going to guess Africa. Correct. Africa. We're in the bottom right or southeast for more geographically inclined people. Um, okay. You know where Madagascar is, the big island off to the Yes. East? I've seen the cartoons. It's the kind of, it's opposite that on the coast there. Okay. So that's, uh, it's the Republic of Mozambique. Which right. we do hear a great deal, and we've yeah. often discussed whether or not it's worth talking about. But actually, uh, it's only been the Republic of Mozambique since 1990. And before that, it was the People's Republic of Mozambique. 
Oh, so I wonder what the difference is. It's no longer for the people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. Wait, wait. so when it is the People's Republic, the, they they manage it? Well, um, I think we'll park this thought because uh, there is the reasons for it, I think, are related to what we were talking about. Actually, we're talking about it. Basically, it was a Marxist-led uh, uh, country for a while. So People's Republics tended to be communist in some way. Okay. Uh, and then they stopped being communist, I think, is actually what that means. That's where I've heard People's Republic tend to be communist. Okay. The Republic of China, for example. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. So um, so you're on the southeastern part of Africa. You're about level with Madagascar. Um, a little bit about the flag. I think the flag's really interesting. Uh, unlike the sort of it's a square or it's three rectangles. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, quite a fancy flag. It's uh, horizontal green, black and yellow stripes. Horizontal green and black stripes, right? Green, black and yellow. Green, black so and yellow bands, stripes. A green band, a black band, a yellow band. Yep. Uh, and then, but on the left-hand side, there's kind of a little red triangle. Okay. Uh, and in that red triangle, there's a yellow star. Wow. And in that yellow star, there's a picture of a book. And on top of that picture of a book in the yellow star is right. also kind of in the style of a hammer and sickle, yeah. a sort of black outline image of a hoe instead of the sickle. And guess what it is instead of the hammer? A uh, mallet. AK-47. Oh, really? <laughs> so uh, there's wow. a lot going on in this flag. <laughs> so that's an old flag then, as it that's, goes, um, dates right back, does it? It's uh, Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the whole year. Do you remember when they used to till the fields with the AK-47? <laughs> Uh, so uh, yeah there is a great deal going on in this flag it's quite uh, yeah, interesting and i can't imagine children draw you, know, you could draw a union jack as a child yeah. right you could do a french flag as a child you have to have some some serious art skills to do your flag as a mozambique child it sounds like yeah that was a committee that got around there well we have to have an ak-47 in it well yeah but if we're having that well we have to have the red the red triangle and the book well we'll educate i mean oh, of course we have to have the book yeah the book for education right i mean the, the symbolism is what obviously fairly straightforward but uh, I mean, it is a flag that tells a story yeah. for sure. Like, how does that come about? Like, what do those all mean? And well, I can partially help you with that. Okay, um, good. And the the Ho and AK forty seven hammer and sickle type approach is obviously yeah. a key part of it. And uh, a yellow star on a red background is also fairly familiar. Red from, star, yeah. Uh, as a Marxist Leninist uh, approach to life as your country. AK forty seven. That must be one of the world's top selling guns. Yeah, very popular with revolutionaries. It's very cheap. Must very be right. Easy to manufacture. It's very reliable, reliable and resilient. I believe. Yeah, it doesn't um, jam that sort of stuff. No, not. I'm told you can bury it in sand and dig it up sometime later, and it should still function. Yeah, that may be an urban myth. I'm not sure. I'm not a gun expert. Hello, this is the voice of the internet. The AK-47 was originally developed for the Soviet military, but today over 100 million have been produced. Many AK-47s are owned by American civilians who have bought more of them than the Russian police and military combined. The AK-47 is relatively inexpensive, costing as little as £100, $70. They are light to carry, easy to use and have very little recoil. They are considered especially reliable under extreme conditions including jungles and in deserts. The flag of Mozambique features an AK-47 with an attached bayonet. This symbolizes both defense and vigilance. Thank you. The currency, I like the currency. The, the currency is the new medical. Was that what it's called? Yeah. So 10 new medicals. Yes, exactly. Um, it replaced right. the medical, perhaps unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the old medical uh, was replaced at a rate of 1,000 to 1. So one suspects they had some inflation problems at some point. Okay. Uh, this is not unlike the Renton mark that replaced the mark after the inflation in uh, post-war Germany. I've never heard of the medical. 
No, or neither the new medical, right? So I are guess, they the only ones that have the new medical? I think so. I think I, I haven't come across a medical. That before. sounds like a fact check, Charlie. Uh, definitely. Are there any other medicals? There because there? like you have pounds and dollars. Those those tend to be sort of the more common one, or the euros now. I guess there's loads of countries that use those, but it's very rare. That it seems that you'd have one country that just has their own currency, and that's it, right? So a medical, I think it's derived from an Arabic unit of weight. So there may be other medicals, but uh, and it's not just made up out of nowhere. It's from a, an Arabic. Um, Wait. Okay. Hello. This is the voice of the internet. The medical is a currency unique to Mozambique. One medical is divided into 100 centavos, and worth approximately one European cent, slightly less than one penny sterling, but slightly more than one US cent. A small bottle of water costs approximately 33 medicals. A one-bedroom apartment in the city costs approximately 40,000 medicals. The name medical comes from the Arabic word mithkal, a unit of weight and an alternative name for the gold dinar coin that was used throughout much of Africa until the 19th century. Thank you. You went to Mozambique recently, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. Did you Did you get new medicals? No, it's just the way I walk. So, I know you're worried about this country's size in relation to France. Yeah, that's prime in my mind. Um, so, Mozambique's about uh, 800 thousand square kilometers which is about uh, france is about 69 percent the size of a mozambique so it's bigger than france by a third maybe by a third yeah yeah so pretty chunky it's weird because you said eight hundred thousand square kilometers before telling me and i was doing the calculation in my head because i now know <laughs> having done 20 episodes of this you know how your big france, france size. i know france not a problem i'll do the math yeah <laughs> Well, so yeah, bigger than um, France in area, but uh, they've only got 30 million people. So France has 67 million people. Okay. So now you realise you're starting to look at a thinly populated country. Is it um, urban or is it uh, more sort of you know, I think forests and... Empty largely seems to be. <laughs> there, okay. are, there, there are towns. Um, is it savannery kind of or jungly uh, or... Um, economically there's a lot of agriculture going on there's grassy plateaus that kind of lead and sort of it's coast there's the delta of the river zambezi okay uh and then it's sort of plateaus and then up into sort of highlands as you go to the west okay but yes like i say the zambezi flows into the sea here uh i don't know if you're familiar with the 1982 hit song uh zambezi uh can you sing I remember that, but only that bit. So I played it back to myself on YouTube. Uh, and I thought in my head it might be a song about Africa in some way. It is not. It's about a man who can't pay his rent. <laughs> is he from the Zambezi? Nope, not at all. He Does he wish like to go from... to the Zambezi? Not really. It doesn't come up at all, which is quite perplexing. Uh, so famous Mozambicans. Yeah. Really... Don't ask me to name any. I can name... Well, I won't even ask you to recognize. You might know this one. Uh, Eusebio. Uh, oh, what? The Portuguese footballer? The Portuguese footballer. Shamefully, in terms of other famous Mozambicans, I don't have any. I've just got peri-peri sauce. Wait, what? Peri-peri the- sauce is Mozambican. Is it? Yeah. What, like Nando's the chicken shop? Yeah. For those people that aren't from the UK, there is a chain of f- restaurants that sell chicken with peri-peri sauce on it. And peri-peri sauce is Mozambican. Okay. So there we go. That's Mo- That's the where we are. So when are we? So 2000 to 2005. 
Uh, you may recall the millennium when the computers stopped working and the planes fell out of the sky and it was catastrophic failures Disaster. all around. Yeah. Yeah. So they should have told us about it. They should have done. So obviously none of those things happened because there was a great scare about the millennium. The year 2000 was going to be the end of the world because everyone had programmed their computers without the capability to have a fourth digit. The microwave was going to melt because the clock couldn't account for the fact that it was turning into the millennium or exactly. something. Exactly. The machines were going to rise and <laughs> we were all going to die, as I recall. Mm. Uh, that didn't happen, so happy days. That was the start, obviously, 2000. Yeah. Um, Films-wise, you've got Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Star Wars 3, The Revenge of the Sith. No way, really? Uh, musically, you two are having a beautiful day. Okay. Beyonce is crazy in love. Yeah. And Outcast are saying, hey, ya yeah, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's musically what's happening. The Tate Modern's opening by the Thames, if you're a British slash London type person. Yep. It's beautiful, um, Tate Modern. Politically, you've got George W. Bush becoming president in 2000, and we've got Tony Blair through this whole period. Okay. Um, the euro was introduced in 2002. Really? Okay. Yeah. See, it's funny. You you're it ma- you're naming really all this stuff, and yeah, like I'm this, none of these things I would have put in this period. Right? They seem like they've been around <laughs> yeah. forever, because A long this next time. one, see how this goes. Facebook was founded in 2004. That's insane. Right? There's no way I would put Hey Ya and facebook being created at the same time well look you can read about it in my myspace account so let's introduce mozambique let's go back to the beginning the early man the usual story there were some people there yeah (laughs) Uh, this is africa early man got around didn't they 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 were everywhere at the beginning Hmm. um then we had the bantu migrations which we've come across in uh rwanda if you remember yes uh this is the first of the fifth century uh about a thousand ad or thereabouts you started developing trading areas along the indian ocean so coastal trading places okay uh you developed these sort of autonomous port areas that were centers of trade uh and you sorry mozambique is on the coast is it yes if you recall it's opposite madagascar on the coast yes okay um so the you start to see a swahili culture so this is where swahili people are from okay um or are present uh and so that's happening uh, in Southeast Africa. Then in 1500 AD, have a quick guess who arrives. Uh, in when? 1500. 1500. James Cook. Uh, I was thinking more generically, nationality wise. Winston Churchill. That's still an individual. Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, let me guess. I think it might be the Portuguese. It's always the Portuguese, right? They and love they, a bit of Africa. They got around. So yeah, the Portuguese arrived. Uh, starts off with some traders and gold sort of prospector types. Yep. They start probing into the interior, uh, which is appropriate because slavery is now kicking off. Quite popular in the area, actually, even before the Portuguese. The tribes on the coast would sell to the Muslim traders to the Middle East okay. um, and then to the Portuguese when the Portuguese arrived. So but um, so I guess the east coast of Africa, that's it, it's a, just a short sojourn, isn't it, from sort of Asia? Yeah, it's sort of up and get up around and right a bit. And get around Madagascar sure. and yeah. So um, Portugal arrived, basically, it's the usual colonial situation. They didn't really want to get too, didn't seem to get too closely involved. So they outsourced to private companies, the Mozambique Company, Zambezia Company, and the Niasa Company. So it's one of those outsourcing situations, if you like. And then walk away and not have any accountability for those corporations. Well, funnily enough, they didn't think the companies did very well. So they actually brought them in-house again. In 1951, the Portuguese colonies in Africa were then rebranded as Overseas Provinces of Portugal. Okay. So they actually kind of brought them back. So in this case, um, it was a little bit different. Okay. Obviously, we're trying to get to 2000. So uh, there's more things happen. Anti-colonialism rises after World War II, which we've seen before. And then there's a... Unsuccessful, so though, I'm guessing. 
No, no. The um, there's a, a an organization called Frelimo, the Front for the Liberation of Mozambique. They start a guerrilla campaign against Portuguese rule in 1964. Starts a ten year independence movement, uh, and then 1974, they in Portugal they have the Carnation Revolution. So Portugal was a dictatorship at this time. A guy okay. called um, Salazar was in charge. He dies and uh, passes on to the next guy. I forget his name. But basically, everyone in Portugal is a fed up with the dictatorship. Part of the reason for that is this constant war in not just Mozambique, but Angola as well, these Portuguese colonies, which is just draining people. They, yeah. They're fed up, basically, of uh, all of the, the people going away and coming back and just exhausted. So in 1974, there's what's known as the Carnation Revolution in Portugal. Okay. Which is a bloodless coup. The military take over. Uh, they, <laughs> they walk out onto the streets. It's called mm. the Carnation Revolution because the soldiers... Say, right, everyone stay home, we're going to take over. And everyone doesn't stay home. And uh, in the marketplace, I believe in Lisbon, that people come out and put carnations into the rifle barrels of the, ah, the cool. soldiers carrying out the coup. So consequently, and probably not unrelated to the fact that this is happening in Portugal, they achieve independence in Mozambique in 1975. So in 1975, independence at last, Frelimo, the uh, revolutionary party, are now in charge. Marxist revolutionaries... Supported by the Soviet Union, this is where your AK-47 and your hoe are coming from, your hammer and sickle on your flag. Okay. Now, the challenge for Limo have is, guess who's next door? South Africa and Rhodesia. White-controlled apartheid nations. Now, how happy do you think they are about having this now black-controlled country on their doorstep? Answer, not very. So they support and fund uh, an opposing force called Renamo, so from 75 for two years, they have Frelimo in charge and then boom, civil war. Okay. Why don't they just stick out of it? It's not their country. Mm, it's not really how these things work. Everyone has a fear of the domino effect and they think, well, the next guy's okay. next door. You're the white minority sitting on a black majority. You see basically next door, all of the Portuguese kind of leave when uh, yeah. independence is achieved. Your power is under threat. Sure. So you don't really want people getting ideas. So you want to ruin it for everyone. Okay. Uh, so they support Renamo, who uh, have a who start a civil war that lasts fifteen more years of war. So wow. you've had ten years of revolutionary war, two years of things being all right, and then another fifteen years of war. As you can imagine, this is not brilliant for your development as a country. Good if you're selling AK forty sevens. Yeah, for those guys, having a lovely time. Everyone yeah. else, not so good. So nineteen ninety two, you finally get to the end of a one party state, and they have some peace talks with Renamo, and that's the start of democracy. In Mozambique. Cool. So it took a long time to get there. Oh, and a, and lot of a long and painful time to get yeah. there. So a lot of deaths. Um, yes, plenty of death. Uh, we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, so in the first elections they have in 1994, Frelimo and Renamo then are parties. They're now taking part in elections. Frelimo come out really just ahead. It's really close. Renamo challenges the result. So there's a bit of controversy about whether the re-election was fair and who really won. Right. Not at all current, as you can imagine. Yeah. But the... That wouldn't the, happen these days. Exactly. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Only an uncivilised country would, exactly. would behave in that way. Uh, interestingly, in 1995, the next year, they joined the Commonwealth, uh, which isn't particularly interesting, except the notable part of that is, of course, they're not a British colony. So they're the first non-British oh. colony to join the Commonwealth. Okay. Um, so what they elected to... Yeah, they just said, yeah, we want to be part of this club. It looks like... Looks good, like fun. Good, Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, Get to meet the Queen. Yeah, drinks are free. 
I wonder what you get as part of being part of the Commonwealth. There must um, be some financial incentive. Trade deals, I suspect, are the, are yeah. the most tempting part of it. I can't imagine the Commonwealth Games is uh, the most appealing part of it, but it doesn't hurt, does it? No. And when is this? Uh, 1995. Oh, right. Okay. They joined the Commonwealth fairly recently then. Um, I mean, that's 35 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, relatively recently. Well, relatively recently. Yeah, So that because, of course, they weren't part of the British Empire, so they didn't have that sort of natural connection. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so our period is 2000 to 2005 in Mozambique. So I've given you a whistle-stop tour of the history. Mm. Um, but in 2000, first thing to happen in February is catastrophic flooding. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, really bad. It, it's it's so bad. When I do that bit where, when are we? Yeah. I generally do a little Google for the, and there's a couple of websites, and The Guardian in this case had major events. Mm. It, it was one of them that was actually listed in the major events oh, wow. in the world in that, uh, it was that decade. Uh, it was very bad. It was the worst flood in 50 years. 800 people died. But yeah, it displaced half a million people. And as late as 2016, people are still leave, living in shelters, mm. having been displaced. The recovery for this thing was uh, pretty substantial. Um, and the reason I raise that is, A, it was very significant and it's worth mentioning. But B, it's my terrible segue into you would probably turn to a religion at a terrible time like that. <laughs> ah, nice. Yeah, right. So religiously speaking, the country is a mix of about 56% Christian, about 18% Muslim, uh, and 7% other. That's quite a lot of other. Yeah, so I, I think what's happened is, uh, in other and no religion, there's slightly different numbers I saw on different versions, the sort of traditional beliefs didn't get really a, a represented. So I think the other and uh, no religion actually covers off quite a lot of traditional beliefs rather than there are a large number of atheists roaming around uh, mm. Mozambique. So here's the, the thing I found interesting was, nearly half of the Christians are Zionist Christians. What's a Zionist Christian, Peter? I'm glad you asked me that. Well, um, firstly, are you aware of what Zion is slash represents? Is it like, is it heaven? Uh, no, like it's Israel it, generally. So, it's Israel, so is it? So Zionism in uh, Jewish circles would be the sort of dominance of the state of Israel. Okay. Um, Zion usually re- is usually used to refer to Israel. And is that Zion is a, a place? Yeah. I mean, it's probably more complex than that, but... Uh, okay. So Zion is a sort of conceptual place, like Jerusalem is both a place and a concept, right? Jerusalem is a conceptual place. It's a place, but it's also a a concept. So we will build Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. Doesn't Ah. mean I'm going to do a replica of the Middle Eastern city. It means Jerusalem as the beacon of hope (laughs) is going to be rebuilt. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Build a replica of it. It'd be really disappointing, wouldn't it? (laughs) Sorry, William Blake. We did it. And we're like, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> all right, tear it down. <laughs> this is terrible. So what I found interesting was the Zion in this um, in this uh, instance refers to Zion, Illinois. Oh, that's a place, is it? <laughs> well, yeah. It's or is kind that of a concept? A the, the place and the concept was, well, which came first? Well, let me tell you the history of it and you can decide. But okay. uh, it, it is one of those chicken and egg situations because... Uh, the, the, the place was founded by the people who believed. So a chap called John Alexander Dowie at the end of the 19th century yes. uh, was the founder of the Zion Church. Okay. Uh, so he was a Scottish-Australian minister. So he was born wow. in Australia. He began his career in Melbourne, I think it was, in South Australia. 
Um, and he was an evangelist and a faith healer. Nice. Uh, he thought that illness is the work of the devil or possibly demonic possession, and therefore faith will keep you healthy. Right? Okay. So he did events, and he was... I think the phrase you'd use is a con man. He was a con man. <laughs> I was, do you know what? The word that jumped into my head was charlatan, but I didn't want to say it until you said con man. So I'll throw that in. Very much so. So he would hold these events with lots of theatre and a whole lot of your healed kind of thing going. Uh, some of the rules were you were only allowed to attend if you were a professed believer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they screened the people. He relied heavily on the placebo effect of people coming, getting all ramped up. And uh, uh, he didn't charge for healings. Um, right. Well, but, that's good of him. Uh, if the healing didn't work, it probably meant you weren't holy enough and being holy correlated very close with giving money to the church. So okay. It wasn't a bill, but uh, he took money from all of his uh, he did tithing, which yeah. we've mentioned in previous episodes. So yes, being holy and tithing were very closely related and being healed and being holy were closely related, but there's no bill for the healing. Don't you worry about that. Okay. Was he stood there in, his con- in front of his congregation in a kilt and a cork hat? Uh, sadly, no. He wore a kind of what looks disturbingly like a sort of Ku Klux Klan robe. So these white robes is a characteristic of the Zion Church, even today, apparently. He just goes up and up in my estimation. Well, he it gets worse because he then immigrates to the United States in 1888, settles in San Francisco first, where I love this phrase. I'm not exactly sure how you do this, but he expanded his faith healing into a mail order business. Uh, uh, wait, so I've I've got I trouble walking. I write to him and I say, I need help. So he sends me something through guess, the post? a postcard saying, you are healed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how it works. Wow, um, okay. I am quite interested in the mechanics of mail yeah, order faith healing. <laughs> I wonder if that's still going. Yeah, we should check that out, actually. Yeah. See if we can find some mail order faith healing today. Yeah. Um, and he, he makes a, a good few bucks on this. Mm. Um, but he's an ambitious guy. He moves to Chicago in 1893 because that's where the World's Fair is taking place. Okay. Lots that's not a short people. journey. He's traveling around a lot, isn't he, for a time where travel took took a while well one of the part of the deal of being a faith healer if especially for the placebo thing you can make get someone really excited and they can walk for a bit but uh, over mm. time they will sort of get to know you and your the exoticism will wear off and suddenly you realize you're not actually as well as you thought you were so moving around a lot is kind of the stock in trade of your faith healer gotcha and you can also mask that by pretending that you're bringing your faith to the world Exactly. You say, well, obviously other people need my help and I'll be off. And then before you realize you aren't actually nearly as well as you thought you were. Yeah. Um, But he gets to Chicago and he really becomes quite ambitious here. So now he's developed a huge faith feeling business. He's developed a publishing house. He's got thousands of followers. Uh So uh, he buys a chunk of land north of the city and he sets up a collective there, a private community called New Zion City. So this is your Zion, Illinois, that uh, gives us our name or slash is given the name. That's a chunk of money. I'm guessing that's not cheap. Well, no, it's not. But the good news on that result, um, on that uh, score, is that he um, he he takes the land, but then he rents it out to his followers for 15 times the amount he paid for it. Right. Um, okay, of course he did. Uh, yeah, and uh, the the leases. These are on leases. Guess how long a lease is on in Zion City? Oh, it'll be some crazy religious thing, right? So it'll be ninety thousand years or something. One thousand one hundred yeah, years. Yeah, there so. we go. Enough to see you into the near future. Yeah. The contracts, in, so you, you sign a contract to live in this city, and uh, that includes you have to have no drinking, no pork, no use of medical doctors, or real doctors, as I like to call them. Okay, so only him. Yeah, basically. And uh, he had the right to chuck anyone out of the town if they broke any of the rules with no compensation at all. Okay, well, I mean, look, it's his town, right? Exactly. He, he literally the rules, so. owned the whole town, basically. 
And uh, the phrase that pays for this guy was, put simply, the entire Zionist enterprise was founded by a professional con man. Wow. Okay. Uh, so this is this guy, right? And he set up this church. But then this is in the the turn of the century. Well, sorry, just Zionist, what, what, like, what do they believe? Like, what's the difference? So we'll come to it. But but basically, this faith healing stuff that your your wellness is uh, or illness is caused by a lack of faith or a possession by the devil or devilish behaviors. Okay. Um, so I would move to that town if I believed in the faith healing and in... Yeah, I mean, it's like any cult, isn't it? It's the person that you're really following. I don't okay, think it's necessarily right. the the message. Although we will well, talk a little bit about that in a second, because both. the eventually he he was uh, he was bankrupt. Um, Good, but the, the his descendants, as with many of these churches, are, it's sufficiently self fulfilling prophecy that uh, missionaries from that church came to South Africa in 1904. So there's a few people: a guy called John G. Lake and a Petrus Louis Larue. Okay. Um, also faith healers, but they come to South Africa. Now, this is where it gets quite interesting for me because what you've essentially got is, as you say, a fraudulent enterprise, really. But in South Africa, that is still the case. But equally, when you ask what do they believe, they believe in a kind of new person. They believe they don't believe in the traditional separation of, for example, the races. So they would have their church was known for mixing black and white. Okay. In a way that wasn't done at the time. Oh, right. So, okay. yes. This, seems unusual. Well, absolutely. So, yeah, it seems like this church is fraudulent or based on deception. But mm-hmm. actually, that's pretty uh, progressive for its time. But if you want to make money, then you want to include as many people as possible. Absolutely. But equally, it's quite a risky thing to do to kind of set yourself against the establishment like that. Very true, yeah. Um, but uh, it has this whole promise about sort of reshaping humanity into a, into redemption uh, so this notion of your race is kind of irrelevant because you're potentially this new human type. Okay. So you can imagine how this is appealing to a oppressed black population. Sure. So this church then grows in South Africa particularly, such that it's sort of a Southern African church to this day, which is why half of the Christians in Mozambique are this Zionist Christian, which are you don't really find in a lot of other places. So they think there's now currently about 15 million Southern Africans belonging to a, one of former these Zionist churches. Wow, that's a lot of people. Right, and it's... Uh, All paying their money towards... Or their well, donations how it is today is a, a, slightly different, um, a slightly different question because how something starts is not how it is 100 years later necessarily. So uh, this It church, evolves and adapts. And it evolves it, and adapts. It might, and is yeah. it a faith-healing sort of environment now? I don't really know. But it's just a, I would say, is a normal church today. Okay. I just thought that was an interesting journey of this small sect in, weirdly, the United States becoming the, the half of the Christians in Mozambique. Well, uh, beyond that, like beyond the state, this actually originated in Australia, migrated out to the Americas, and then to Africa. Like, I mean, it's traveled around the planet. Right, just from this one guy just doing his faith healing thing. Yeah. Amazing. Who was behind the global phenomenon that is Christian Zionism? Where did they come from? Where did they go? And who did they touch to get there? Welcome to People of History. I'm Professor Derek Schwarmer, and today we're meeting John Alexander Dowie, founder of the Zionist Church. Born in Edinburgh in 1847, 
John Alexander was the son of a humble Scottish tailor and his wife. Get down here and eat what the Lord has provided, son. Aye, come and sup your porridge, my love. But I don't want to be late for school, Papa. In 1860, at the age of just 13 years old, John and his family emigrate. Pack your bag, son. We're off to Australia. Oh, how exciting. Yes, father. The seven-week voyage to Australia exposed John to the diverse peoples of Europe, the Spanish, the Germans, and the French. Hello, new friends. Would you like a slice of haggish? Bonjour. What is it? Yeah, what is this substance? This in your case. It's oats and often in a sheep's stomach. Arriving in Australia, the family moved into their new home in Adelaide. G'day, mate. Here's the keys. Welcome to the neighbourhood. Thank you, kind sir. As an immigrant to the nation, John quickly learned to integrate with his Australian school friends. Who are you? Oh, I mean, g'day, cobble. I'm an Australian also. Oh, I thought you were a flaming guitar, but I realise you're all right now, mate. Thanks, mate. Completing his education in theology, John puts his knowledge to the task as a pastor in the local church, appealing to the poor and disenfranchised, such as those within the Irish Australian community. Good day and welcome to the church, Micobba, to be sure. Oh, we do enjoy a parade, sir, we do, to be sure, Cobber Bonzer. But a terrible accident. One night, the church burns to the ground. Oh, that's a terrible shame. I'll just fetch the insurance papers. With his newfound wealth, John Alexander leaves Australia for America, arriving in San Francisco in 1888. John starts a new church and integrates himself with the West Coast community. Hey man, are you like a man of God? Oh, hi, yes, Cobber, I mean my dude, the new... But after legal and financial setbacks, John's eye is drawn to the World Fair in Chicago where he stages healing events to the global crowd. Roll up, roll up, cobbers, dudes and brethren. Healing here, come this way. People from as far as Mexico. G'day, cobber jefe, would you like some chicken? No, I want to hear more about your god. Rusher. Da, comrade godman, tell me more of this deity. Oh, for sure, comrade, come, come, this, come this way, step right up, dude. After his success at the World Fair, John starts the Zionist Church, but dies shortly afterwards. Oh, my dude. But the church lives on, taken to Africa by John's followers, where the theology is preached to the poor black Africans. Oh. Hmm. To the uh, poor black Africans. Mm. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So that's the Zionist church in Mozambique. So that's okay. religion. Mozambique, 2000, 2005. Yeah, yeah you, I didn't think you needed to stress that that was a religion. I, I, I got that. 
So um, some other stuff I was reading about was, and kind of related, was that, that one of the things that seems to be the case about church life in Mozambique is it sits alongside and intertwined with traditional beliefs. There doesn't seem to be a huge uh, disparity between I believe in the church, therefore I must not believe in traditional beliefs. They seem to, to coexist quite effectively. Um, they have witch doctors in um, in Mozambique, uh, known as uh, Tinyanga. So a Nyanga, I think, is is the singular. So Tinyanga is the plural for these witch doctors. Hey, Ryan, I think I might have been possessed by a spirit. A Nyanga? No, I'm quite relaxed about it. So in Mozambique, there are 1,500 doctors and 70,000 witch doctors. Oh, wow. Okay. So you can imagine it's relatively challenging to go and see a regular doctor. So witch doctors are very much part of life over there. So things we know about witch doctors are they become witch doctors because they are possessed by a spirit that says, ah, you've got to heal people. Mm. So they get one day a spirit will force them to abandon all their, quit their job, abandon their activities and just go, go healing. Uh, And this becomes their calling, not because they choose it, but because this spirit possesses them and sort of forces them to do so. Yeah. I wonder how that presents, whether it's like they just wake up one morning and they just feel like they'd never felt that way before. Because, I, 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 you know, the temptation is to think that of those 70,000, a number of those might be doing it for ulterior motives. But then there'll be others that genuinely believe that they have been inhabited by spirits. So I wonder how that sort of presents itself to them. Yeah, I think it's... Um, they look in the mirror one day and they're like, there's something else in here. Yeah, so from what I can make out, they, they do pretty well in terms of um, remuneration for their activities. Sure. But none of them would like driving around in Mercedes particularly. So it right. seemed like it was... Uh, and you have to deal with sick people and dying people and people with injuries and... Yeah, and they're quite serious about this. So um, they, they obviously, they're healers, so they use compounds of herbs and roots, like you might imagine, which conceivably could be effective folk medicine. Sure, yeah. Hasn't yet been properly understood. Uh, so may work, may not work, I don't know. They also put their patients through uh, ceremonies. So the one, the rather unsettling picture I saw was a guy bathing in goat's blood. Right. So there's a guy, um, and by bathing, it was more Do like not showering. Oh, no, it was really quite something. The, the goat, I do that as a weekly thing now. Yeah, they didn't have a bath of goat's blood, though. They they held the goat up mm. and cut its throat. Yeah. And the guy was crouched under this, just showering, essentially, in yeah, this Yeah, no, blood. that's what I do. Is that how you get ready that's, for work in the morning? No, not in the morning. It's just weekly. It's like a Friday morning thing. Oh, it's a Friday thing. Is it invigorating? Yeah. It's yeah. just like gives you a bit of vim for the weekend, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just now part of my daily routine. Yeah. Well, Where do you routine. get your goats? Uh, farm. <laughs> goat farm. Were, I was going to say you were seconds from saying goat farm. <laughs> a silly question, wasn't it? It was. I regret that. Uh, the alternative, which I recommend for you, is uh, special cuts with a razor blade all over your body. Oh no, I, I stopped doing that. Well, you know, maybe midweek. I don't know. Just, uh, yeah. I mean, don't rule it out, Ryan. Is all I'm saying. Mm, skeptic. Yeah. Just saying, you're missing out on some medicine. That's all. Okay. So it's some different spirits. So it was quite interesting because I thought the spirits would all be something reasonably consistent, right? Like grey aliens are all kind of basically the same. Wait, and what? How did aliens sort of, come of this? Well, I was thinking that we have notions of, so a ghost is a person kind of see-through, kind of floaty, and an alien is kind of grey, big eyes. Okay. You get these sort of communal concepts of uh, these supernatural phenomena or these unlikely phenomena. Yeah. Um, so I thought it would like spirits all look kind of similar or are kind of similar in one way or another okay uh, but not at all 
So we had um, one who was possessed by a white Rhodesian soldier. One was possessed by the spirit of their grandfather. One had two spirits, one which, which was a lion and one which is a leopard. So, you know, there's no, there's not all people. They're not all related. Okay. They're all just, all these different things. My favorite being Flora Antonio, <laughs> who, was <pos> <laughs> who was possessed by the spirit of a shrimp. Oh. Right? Um, one of these guys I was reading about, he specializes in the treatment of victims from crocodile attack, which yeah. I felt was a heck of a niche to be occupying <laughs> as a healer. Yeah, like you're going to be seeing some pretty gruesome injuries there, right? Right, and uh, and you've got to get a hit rate. You've got to get some fixed. Someone's got to get better. Someone's right, got to get better, gonna... otherwise your job is on. Well, here's the thing. I also read on a, a, quite an interesting article that uh, proposed um, that basically a lot of these practices were really helpful in healing post-conflict trauma. So bear in mind... Cornflake trauma? Cornflake trauma, no. <laughs> goat. Say that again? It does what with the cornflakes? Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you don't have milk, you can use goat's blood, <laughs> as long as it's chilled. So yeah, they, they have this... They had this idea that basically spirits, like any kind of therapy, they give you a... a a, me a mechanism for processing trauma so okay. you've had 35 years of war you've been fighting and killing and seeing dying and and uh and these rituals and cleansing and the various things you can do help you process your trauma is the is the theory so although okay. you are not necessarily a licensed therapist the things you are doing are still helpful sure so there's an example here there are things called oh this is going to be tricky mfukwa Spirits. So right. these are spirits of fighters and civilians who were killed during the war who didn't receive proper burial rights, right? So in 1993, there was some Tinyangu in a uh, province that uh, were asked to perform a ritual along a road because there was a spirit of a Renamo commander who'd been killed there and he was stopping anyone using the road. This spirit okay. was preventing anyone using the road. About. So the Tinyanga came in, performed a ritual. The spirit said, oh, can I have some money, please? So you want with money for? Well, you know, it's not easy in the spirit world. You can't buy crisps. Uh, the vending machines are yeah. uh, a real pain. And uh, a week later, the spirit was caught with various rituals, pieces of fabric. Well, exactly. It's Ghostbusters, right? So this ritual gave the community an opportunity to process whatever feelings they had about the people they had killed or seen killed or had killed. Yeah. And they also have purification rituals, which you can imagine might be helpful in a scenario where you had seen or done some things you didn't necessarily feel good about. It's closure, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's closure. It's finding a way to sort of move on from those traumas that you might have suffered. Exactly. So, yes, I'm a witch doctor and you might find it easy to kind of look down on that as a as a non-scientific approach. But as with anything, if it helps enable people to process their experiences then maybe there's value in it after all. Now, interestingly, <laughs> Mozambican witch doctors belong to an organization, right? Uh, okay. Called Amatramo, the Association of Traditional Medics of Mozambique. Uh, and they, so basically, Funny they didn't use the words witch doctor in that. I know, isn't it though? Because <laughs> they could have had WDs, like MDs. They could have done. Pete Goddard MD, For Pete Goddard WD. WD. Yeah. I said, oh, yes, I didn't spend four years at Witch Doctor College to be not referred to as WD. Ah, uh, if you had 40 years, you'd be WD-40. Nice. Well, you're the lubricant for society. Oh, come on. <laughs> so anyway, Amatrame represents these guys and they license people. So you have to be licensed. That's a scam medicine. in of itself. Well, they're quite worried about 
fake witch doctors, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, and they're they're quite serious about their that they work them they're recognised officially recognised by and they work with the Ministry of Health in Mozambique. Okay. Because once again, most of the population have no access to a doctor, but they do have access to a traditional medicine slash witch doctor. Okay. Hey, uh, Pete, you know I had that appointment at the witch doctor. Oh yeah, he managed to fit you in, did he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, I um, I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. What? Yeah, I, I um, I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. And then? Well, and then the witch doctor he told me what to do. What did he say? He said that oo e oo r r ting tang, walla walla bing bang oo e oo r r ting tang, walla walla bing bang. Oo e oo r r ting tang, walla walla bing bang. Oo e oo r ting tang, walla walla. Bing bang? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's funny, because uh, I, I popped over and I saw him as well. You did? Yeah, I, I I told the witch doctor you didn't love me true. You, you, what? I, I told the witch doctor you didn't love me nice. Well, and then? Then the witch doctor, he, he gave me this advice. What did he say? He said that, Oo-E, Oo-R-R, ting-tang, Walla, Walla, bing-bang, Oo-E, Oo-R, ting-tang, Walla, Walla, bing-bang. Oo-E, oo-r-r, ting-tang, walla-walla, bing-bang, oo-e, oo-r-r, ting-tang, walla-walla, bing-bang. Yeah, that's right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, he's a very wise man. So now, confusingly, I'm going to go back to Zionist churches. Okay. Um, So, or not particularly about Zionist churches. It's about the difference between Zionist churches and Catholic churches, because... uh, Mm -hmm. Catholicism is the more or less the remaining half of Christianity in Mozambique. Yeah. Um, but obviously from a very different background. So the Zionist Christianity came in sort of under the radar, if you like, breaking the rules, giving the sort of black Southern African people a sense of their identity and potential. Whereas the Catholic Church was the religion of the Portuguese. Yeah. So this course. is your colonizers religion. Um Perhaps and, not one that you might want to embrace. Well, exactly. So the church was not embraced, shall we say, by the Frelimo. So Frelimo was the revolutionary organization. Okay. They were Marxist communist revolutionaries. As you know, hopefully communists do not really like religion, the opium of the masses, if you will. Okay. So for a long time, the Frelimo oppressed the church, basically. They also really disliked Jehovah's Witnesses for some reason. And at one point, over 20,000 Jehovah's Witnesses were sent to re-education camps that's about 1976. Wow, re-education camps. Re-education camps, yeah. right? That's a phrase that pays. But uh, over time, the Frelimo kind of moved from an idealistic Marxist new government, as with the process that you see with a lot of communist governments, is they kind of then make their accommodations with capitalism over time. They make their accommodations with the church over the time. And now they're just the, the party that is in charge. But there is one other sort of concept that I'd like to to share with you which is not really religious but it's interesting which is in colonial portugal they have this concept called an assimilado Ooh. so there's the traditional divisions between race i was going to just say white and black which obviously race yeah <laughs> but assimilados were the, the sort of elite within colonial mozambique uh this native elite within colonial uh, mozambique and to be an assimilado, you had to swear loyalty to the colonial state, promise to only speak Portuguese at home, so essentially abandon your your identity as a Mozambican and become as Portuguese as you possibly could, uh, adopt European habits, 
and uh, have a Portuguese official vouch for your character, obviously. But interestingly... The, and this is in our time period? No, no. This is, the, this is pre-revolutionary Mozambique, so Portuguese okay. colonialism. Right, right. So the assimilados, as with the middle class you see in a lot of revolutionary situations, it's the middle class that drives it really more than the oppressed mass. The theory of Marxism is that your starving workers rise mm. up, but the thing about the starving workers is they're starving and busy trying to feed themselves. And frequently you see that it's actually the middle classes that drive these kinds of catastrophic social change. And so it was largely uh, the, the assimilados formed a large chunk of the Frelimo leadership when they did the got into the revolution and took over. And what was in it for them? The assimilados? Yeah. Well, they were still second-class citizens. You, you were still a native and not a Portuguese colonial. But uh, they then were the elite. But at the end of the revolution, things were pretty grim. They, they essentially had a bankrupt country. Uh, the illiteracy rate was over 90%. And there were, in the country, six economists, two agronomists, some agricultural experts, mm-hmm. no geologists, and less than a thousand black high school graduates in the entire country. Wow. Of 30 million. Of uh, 30 million, yes. There are, there I slightly less then, but yeah, still but a not, thousand not high, sc- high school graduates, not university graduates. Right. So the reason I relate this to the church was, part of the reason all this was so bad was the the, the Portuguese didn't made no effort at all to educate the local people and they left it up to the Catholic Church who did not do their job as far as I can make out. Mm. I don't think I get this assimilado thing. So what? what? <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> who so was telling them that they had to behave that way? The Portuguese. So you are um, a white Portuguese person. So as part of the, the colonial time, during the colonial period. Yeah, during the colonial period. The Portuguese went, right, you'll behave like a Portuguese person or else... Or no, if, it was a class you do, of person. You will get yeah. There were benefits benefit. to it. You could have certain jobs. You could. You were entitled to certain positions. Okay. Uh, so and you were re- better regarded than okay. a native for one native of Mozambique. Yeah, Bikian. Yeah. So okay. You were you were more. You tended to be more educated. You were allowed to do more sort of more your government jobs or things like that. So those figures you were quoting at the end there that didn't include those people. Uh, that's a good question. I would imagine it did. Because if they were people. more educated, then how come there were, were they just the thousand high school graduates? That's a good question. I'll have to check that. Oh, okay. I would imagine. No, I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> no, imagine. No, okay. Imagine. I'm imagining. I'm imagining <laughs> that the assimilados made up most of those high school graduates. <gasps> I said it. You did. You imagined it. Yeah. Therefore, it's now fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. No, um, that's fine. Like, I just, I'm just curious, like, how does that work? Like, is it, what's the benefit of doing that if you're not getting educated? And so maybe those figures that you're quoting there, I'm imagining that it's not the assimilados. All right. Voice of the internet will let us know. All right. Hello. This is the voice of the internet. By 1958, there were 4,353 assimilados in Mozambique. This was a very small percentage of the total population of 6,234,000. black students graduated high school, most of which were the children of assimilados. Despite their low numbers, many of these educated Africans played an important role in the struggle for liberation against the Portuguese. Thank you. Can I just ask, when am I getting to try my peri-peri chicken? Because yeah, normally, like, that. we'll do like a little tasting or something, and you'll bring me some food or something to try. And you mentioned early on that there was some peri peri 
I did. The problem Source. was the category is religion. Just trying to drive right. the spirits out. You could drive the spirits out. I'm happy with that. There's plenty of spirits You're to drive out. Lucky I didn't bring a goat. <laughs> <laughs> String it up in my shower. <laughs> So I have one final thing to tell you, which is entirely unrelated to everything, but it's upbeat, so I'm going to share cool. it with you. In 2000, in our period, Maria de Lourdes Mutola mm-hmm. took gold at the 2000 Summer Olympics in the women's 800 metres in Sydney. Nice. Now, this is the first ever Mozambican gold. Yeah. Ms. Lourdes Mutola was known as the, the, the capital city of um, Mozambique is Maputo. She was known as the Maputo Express. Nice. That's right? a great name. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Mozambique has only ever won... It's one... either a train or a newspaper. Now you've introduced the newspaper. <laughs> I'm less keen on it. <laughs> like you'd re- quick check the classifieds in the Maputo Express. <laughs> well, now you've ruined for Maria de Lourdes Matola's uh, I don't think she's me. crying into a gold medal no, she's doing anytime right. soon. So in... The history of the Olympics, Mozambique has only ever won one other medal, a bronze in 1996. Uh, who do you think won that? What do you mean, who? I don't know any Mozambicans. You do? One, Lourdes Matola. It was her again. Oh, it was her again. <laughs> so she is responsible nice. for 100% of Mozambique's medals in the Olympics. Bronze and gold. Yeah, and interestingly, she, it wasn't just that she won this one gold. She is generally considered, I read, to be one of the greatest 800-meter women runners of all time. Wow. So a totally unrelated topic, but I wanted to celebrate something nice. That's so cool. That's great. Was she religious? Yes. Let's just say yes. <laughs> yes. And that's why that's relevant. That's exactly. That's what I was thinking. Maybe like she... She said, thanks God for making me super fast. <laughs> super fast. The Express. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to run fast. That would be my... If I was going to have a superpower, it'd be running fast. Really? How fast though? Like super fast. Super fast. Not like 24 miles an hour. Well, how fast is that? It's less than 30. It's, like how fast do I run at the moment? Well, I think a good 100 metres is about 10 miles an hour. Okay. Um, oh, then, yeah, so I'd, do, sprint, I'd do a 24. 24. You get places. Um, yeah, but not yeah, very fast. All, all right, no, double that. 50, 50 miles an hour. Miles an hour. Mm, no, I want to run at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> That's how fast I want to run. <laughs> like if this is my imagination, right? I get to right. pick whatever Absolutely. I want. Absolutely, but you'd be so hungry all the time. 500 miles an hour. The energy you'd be consuming. You'd be, as soon as you get anywhere, you don't have to eat a goat. I want to be able to run fast enough that I can run on the surface of water like those lizards. I don't think that's a function of speed, is it? Sure. So you're skimming across like a stone. Yeah, so skimming like a stone. The surface tension goes hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Uh, pick that one. <laughs> Pete, well done. Thank you very much. Is there any other little tidbits you um, want to share? Anything you found? Mozambican things. Um, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> no, we don't have to. I love that. That was great. Um, I was particularly taken with the story of the Zionist church. Um, I'm intrigued about this one particular chat. It's amazing how these often start with one guy and his vision and how did they really believe it? Like, did they get to a point where they convince themselves that, well, maybe there is something in this or not? I, I'm a do big believer s- that you talk yourself into these things. Yeah, you, know? you go if you're a narcissist and you 
you know, you like you're striving for that attention. You could convince yourself. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. And in the short term, you know, some people are getting so carried away they are actually feeling better. So look, this is totally working. You're getting that praise all the time. Right? Yeah, and then then you slip into well, okay, so I'm going to get John over there to pretend to get better. But only so that it inspires other people and gives them that confidence so that they can have the faith that they yeah. need to get better. And you can justify a tremendous amount to yourself if you're uh, hungry enough. Yeah. Hmm. So what you're saying is I should start my own religion. I've always wanted to start a cult, actually. So if we do another podcast, we could, yeah. I say we'd start a cult. About history. Something much easier to research <laughs> than that. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, look, well done, Pete. Um, that's you nailed it. Episode twenty, this was twenty. So well done. We're on our way to twenty-two. I was thinking we're on our way to a year because I thought if we do one a week and we're on twenty, that's not close. No, it's fifty-three. No. Right. So that's why I how many, started. How many weeks in a year? Fifty-four. <laughs> Fifty-four. How many weeks in a year? Fifty-two. It's fifty-two, is it? <laughs> Okay, right. That was Mozambique, episode 20, in the bag. We're going to move on to episode 21, which would be my episode. So it's time to run the Durs later. All right, can I press the button? Uh, yeah. I never get to press the button. Right, of course you can. I'm coming over. All right. And, uh, okay, we're running. The, the, the pistons are pumping. Right. The oil is greasing. <laughs> <laughs> right, and your country is Algeria. Okay, Algeria. Algeria. It's a country. Like, I mean, it's a place, right? right. It's not. It's not unknown. It's uh, sure Algeria. A huge amount about it. Uh, your time period is 1940 to 1950. I love that period of time. It keeps coming up for you, doesn't it? I haven't done 40 to 50, so I'm okay with that. And your topic is nature. Oh, cool. We did that one for uh, Sweden, didn't we? Is that nature? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. It was. So we're going to learn all about nature in Algeria in 1940 to 1950. I look forward to finding out what you know. That sounds cool. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that sounds all right. Huh? Yeah. Right. Okay. We have to do some admin, Peter. Yes, we do. So if you like what you heard or hated what you heard or what we said was wrong, do get in touch. We're on hatepodcast at gmail.com or on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn on at hhepodcast. That's right. And uh, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on your podcast providers, uh, particularly on Apple Podcasts, which does help us. Uh, we're now also available on YouTube. So you can find us on the YouTube. It's HHE Podcast on YouTube. So find us there and you can listen to this and see our lovely logo for an hour. <laughs> Can't see us yet. It's we'll do a live one eventually, but it's just it's just our, our, our voices for the time being. Also tune in to the verdict, which will come out next week, uh, where Paul Dursley, our friend, mentor and uh, advisor, will tell us how terrible we are as people. So do get in touch. If you're interested in joining the HHE podcast community, you can subscribe to our uh, newsletter and a little weekly update on what we're up to at hhepodcast.com. Little subscribe button on there. Okay, Pete, thanks again. Another awesome episode from you. Uh, we've learned so much about Mozambique. This right. is fantastic. You're the best. And I'll be back here this time next week to tell you all about Algeria. So you've been listening <laughs> to... History happened everywhere. 
Why is it called Mozambique? Do you know what the name means? I don't know, but the Zambezi River might give it the Zam. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mo near Zambezi. Moes sounds like mosquitoes. Mosquitoes on the Zambezi. <laughs> there we go. Fun fact. Thank you.